We are going to start today's session with a conversation with B.V. Jagradish, Managing Partner at Kaj Ventures. B.V. is a very, very well-known, very accomplished entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, and I've known him for a very, very long time. And great to have you here, B.V. Nice to see you, and I look forward to catching up. Absolutely. It's been a, it's been a while since the two of us met. And yeah. it's, it, this is such an amazing initiative that you have. And, uh, you know, this is very much aligned with many of the things that even I talk about in public as well as in uh, many of the other uh, uh, speeches that I give. So it's very much aligned with uh, what I'm also thinking. That's very nice. So, Jagadish, uh, take us through a little bit of what you are planning or doing uh, with Kaj Ventures. You know, both historically as well as looking ahead, what is the vision? How are you positioning the fund and your activities currently? Yeah. So just a little background on myself. Um, I came to United States back in 1982, and I, I started my first company in 1993, which is uh, Exodus Communications, where we pioneered the concept of uh, internet data centers. So pretty much all of the internet companies at that time used our infrastructure in order to reach out to millions and actually billions of people around the world. And we took the company public in 1998 and we scaled almost, you know, almost to billion dollars within about six years after we started the company in revenues. And in 2000, I left uh, Exodus to start Netscaler and uh, Netscaler because of the uh, post dot-com crash, we went through lots of ups and downs. And, and after re-navigating the company, we managed to scale that company as well and got to a stage where we were almost like $60 million in revenue. And we got an offer from Citrix at that time in order to scale the company to the next level. So today, so Netscaler is almost like over a billion dollar plus in revenues for Citrix. And it's one of the main cornerstones for uh, Citrix product lines as well. So I'm, I'm very proud of uh, uh, all the work that we have done and, uh, you know, the jobs that we have created over the years. So with that experience, and then later on, I tried one or two companies. And interestingly enough, uh, one of them was a very high risk uh, kind, kind of a company, company called Three Leaf Systems. And uh, because of technology challenges and market challenges, we actually failed in that company. And that was a great learning experience for me. So I have success, I have failure, which has helped me to learn both sides, both sides of the coin as well. And using that, I just wanted to apply my experience to invest in next generation of entrepreneurs rather than myself getting involved in uh, yet another company. So because of my infrastructure and uh, enterprise kind of a background, I've been primarily focused in investing in the uh, next generation of entrepreneurs building these enterprise infrastructure companies or yeah. enterprise software companies. So that has been the primary focus over the last 10 years. And um, what, uh, you know, what stage do you like to get involved in? Are we talking, you know, since you first started doing this, or I first started doing this, the industry has evolved quite a bit. Now, of course, people are doing 
pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, large series A, like the whole segmentation of action. <laughs> Where are you uh, playing? What's your comfort zone? Most of my investments that I have done are all, you know, treated like a seed investment, right? I, I've been the first uh, person to write the check for many of the companies, uh, companies mm -hmm. like Net, Net Magic Solutions in India, where I wrote the first check, or uh, over here, a company called Yodli, which uh, went on to become IPO as well. I was probably the, the very first guy who wrote the check, uh, being inspired by the founder. So it's it's also interesting that you talked about this pre-seed, seed, mini seed, small seed, and all of that. So what we have done in the last uh, one year or so, a uh, bunch of us who worked together in the past, we have come together to start a a seed fund kind of a, it's not a real fund uh, because we don't really have any fees or we don't really have uh, any carry. Uh, so we a, a bunch of uh, angel investors, we have come together and mm -hmm. we, it's called SV Quad, Silicon Valley Quad. And mm -hmm. uh, we want to invest uh, think of almost like a seed plus where we want to invest up to $3 million. And the purpose of doing this is that as I was doing, you know, these seed investments, I kind of realized that a uh, uh, lot of these entrepreneurs, half the time they end up actually spending to raise money because whatever the seed fund that we give is not adequate enough for them. And as the company starts to pick up momentum, the entrepreneur has to be continuously on the road to raise the money. Yeah. So we, we felt that based on the experience that uh, all of us had, we felt that if we can give enough money for the entrepreneur so that he, just, he or she focuses primarily on building the business to an extent mm -hmm. where it is significant enough in terms of revenues, especially like what you're saying, million entrepreneurs by... Uh, uh, with million dollar revenues. And if you can get to that million dollar plus kind of revenues, it becomes much easier to do a series money A or a series A plus Absolutely. or, you know, whatever that is, right? So this way, the goal is that uh, our money, the money that we are giving, which is $3 million, should last for about 24 months. And yeah. the on entrepreneur essentially must have a story to start to pitch by the 18th month because it mm -hmm. takes about three to four months to raise the money so that yeah. means by 18th month you should have got to a stage where you have you know this kind of revenue million dollars or two million dollars or whatever that is with some marquee customers and with a with a good management team and that really will help the entrepreneur to raise the series a so we have now upped our game to invest up to about $3 million. And okay. we, we do about eight, eight investments in a year. Mm, okay, great. So um, in terms of geography, you said you have invested in India, you've invested in Silicon Valley. What is you know, your group's investment thesis vis-a-vis -vis geography? I understand it's enterprise. I understand it's deep tech, enterprise tech kind of stuff. Uh, what, what about geography? Geography, 
primarily because of the fact that I like to spend more time with the entrepreneurs. Uh, and because of the fact that I live here, uh, I like to do more companies out of uh, Silicon Valley. Although okay. my, my heart is still in India and I like to help entrepreneurs in India as well. So I do at any given point of time, I do have about two or three companies in India. And mm -hmm. I, I just want to limit myself with that because otherwise it starts uh, eating into my morning times and evening times, you know, which uh, is very important to me for my own uh, other activities that I have. So because of that, I limit my India investments to about two or three companies. And then the remaining whatever companies that I've done, both through Kaj Ventures and now through the Silicon Valley Quad. Uh, Silicon Valley Quad is primarily centered around investing in uh, Silicon Valley-based companies or US-based US companies. Now, um, I want to comment um, on, on this India-Silicon Valley corridor if you're investing in enterprise-facing companies in India, most of them are operating in a SaaS business model. Most of them are doing global tech. Most of them are trying to get into the American customer base. So eventually they become Silicon Valley companies, or at least soon enough they become Silicon Valley companies. That's, that's, the, that's what you're facilitating anyway, right? It's very true. It is very true. But the good news is because of the fact that Unlike 10 years ago, India today is also a destination market for many of these companies. So both uh, on the enterprise segment, as well as on the media and internet centric kind of companies, there are enough number of companies for these uh, uh, enterprise products to actually experiment and then win those customers. So In this way, in the beginning, right, the first 20, yeah. 30, 40 customers, yeah. you, ju you just focus on the Indian market and get your product completely stable enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, that, so that later on, when you move to the U.S., right, you're not debugging your product at that time. Right. And you can get to a million-dollar ARR with Indian customers. We see that all the time in our, uh, you know, ecosystem. Yeah. Not in all segments. Not in all not segments. In all segments. No, not in all yeah, segments. But in, in, in some of the segments, definitely you can get to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, now talk about these companies that you've invested in, whichever, you know, maybe two or three uh, or four case studies where tell us about how you met them, what you saw in these companies, what did they have that prompted you to write the check so that we can get a little bit of a feel for how you think about these companies and what what really captures your uh, imagination? Yeah. yeah, so take for example, Nutanix. Nutanix is one yeah. of the companies that many of you know that went public about three or four years ago and they have pioneered in the concept of uh, hyperconvergence. And uh, the, the founder, Dheeraj Pandey, he basically approached me through a investor that had already put some money into the company and uh, that's how I got involved. And he, he is very smart thinking, actually, early on itself, because he was a first-time entrepreneur, and he wanted to surround himself with uh, uh, people who have been there, done that kind of thing, so that, so that you know, he wanted uh, mentors who can help him guide through this whole journey. 
And uh, that's how I got involved with uh, Nutanix early on itself, almost like in 2011 time frame. And uh, uh, another company which is currently... No, one second, uh, one second Jagdish. Uh, when Diraj came to you, he was a first-time entrepreneur. What did he have? I mean, there are so many first-time entrepreneurs coming to you. What did Diraj have? that convinced you that was different and that was special. Diraj, of course, I, I, I know Diraj, so he's a very special entrepreneur. He's done a fantastic job. But when in 2011 he, he was starting, what did you see in him that showed you that spark? I think basically what you look for in an entrepreneur at that stage, right? Because product is not there, team is not there yet and customers are not there. So what you look for at that time in the entrepreneur is a clarity in the vision of the product that he or she is building and the market that the product is going to go after and very good clarity in, in clearly understanding as to why you are solving this problem and uh, what differentiates you from many of the other products that exist in the market, right? And in his case, it was very clear that given this whole uh, hyper-convergence of bringing compute, storage, network, all of them into a single environment, and the example that he took was centered around this whole Google file system. And Google has done it itself because they have thousands of engineers who can make that thing work and then scale it. And his whole thesis was that as a solution like that is equally important to an enterprise that don't have all those type of resources. And Nutanix will become that company that simplifies the way how a concept like a GFS can be brought into the enterprises, right? And that was mm -hmm. the selling point. So which means you now have a key differential in the product that you are building with either a NetApp or EMC, which all were doing in a very traditional manner back in those days. And here is a brand new thinking and the team actually understands how to build this product and the market seems to be pretty intuitive, right? And now it's a matter of building the product and it's a matter of figuring out how to find the go-to-market, right? And that is where the team actually excel in figuring out the early market adoption of this whole VDI space, the virtual desktop initiative space, right? And that became their early market, which is where they penetrated, and then they slowly started to scale to all the other applications within the enterprise. And very early on, you had enough confidence based on your discussions and based on Diraj's background that they could build this product. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. You know, given his background and his other co-founders' background, Mohit Aaron, and Ajit Singh, uh, very evident that these guys really understood how to build this complex product. So, you know, the, the journey that you are discussing is the journey of a first-time entrepreneur doing a fast startup. Nutanix was not a you know, lean startup but per se. So that's a space where I think first-time entrepreneurs always have difficulty. Uh, so it's, it's great to hear the Nutanix story and how you, the role that you played in, in enabling him to get to his next level. Um, 
because we always hear that, oh, my God, you know, it's very difficult to raise money for a fat startup where I can't. I don't have the money to hire the engineers to build this product. It is going to be, it is going to take some money to build this product, but I'm a first-time entrepreneur. No one wants to invest. This is a recurring theme. This is one of the biggest themes you'll hear in, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, there is another company that I have funded, again, in the cloud space, which is a, a current company, company called Tetrate, which is also equally complex product as well. And these founders came from Google and from uh, Twitter, who have sort of built uh, an open source kind of a product. And this company is called Tetrate. And uh, Tetrate brings this whole load balancing, which is the NetScaler product line that we had built, into mm -hmm. the cloud, given the complexity of how the applications that run in the cloud today, especially in multi-cloud sort of an environment, including running within your own data centers, and how do you balance the load across these applications? And these guys had uh, developed and they had built the uh, open source kind of a product. And that, that's what gave the confidence to me to be involved with this company. And it's fascinating to see how much interest is there amongst the investment community to invest in this company, as well as mm -hmm. the customer base as well, and how methodically these guys are executing in terms of winning the early set of customers and then expanding that into a next set of customers. Re really very simple entrepreneurs, but with clarity, to the core in terms of the problem they are solving and the markets that they're going after. Mm -hmm. And um, so they went to market in the beginning as an open source product and already got a bunch of customers? So they, these guys had built the open source as part of Google and uh, Twitter. So they were the original builders and then they thought that a product oh. like that is important in the enterprise segment, right? I see, with, I see. with more functionality associated I, with this uh, product. And at the same time, even the open source that many customers are using needs support as well. And it requires very, very high caliber and high touch kind of engineers who can support the product. Mm. So the, that go-to-market strategy of something already validated with an open source model is very attractive to VCs these days. I've talked to a number of VCs who are looking for that kind of businesses. So, exactly, yeah, exactly. In fact, in fact, now the company is very clearly executing on the strategy that we talked about almost two years ago with the team where you, you support more and more of these open source adapters and at some point of time, you start switching those customers into this enterprise product that the company has built. So now you will have, you will have validation with your uh, existing customer base, uh, providing an open source support. And at the same time, you know, because you have a relationship with the customer that you can start expanding, right, into by selling to the same customer about all the enterprise functionality that the company has built. So now you yeah. upgrade the customer, right, to the enterprise product the company has built. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Is there, um, 
one that you have done from India that you would like to discuss a little bit just to understand the, you know, the process and the nuances of an Indian company working with you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me take an example of a company called uh, Flutura. So these Flutura guys, uh, they used to be employees of uh, Mindtree. And at that time, they approached me through some connection, common connection. And they hadn't even started the company at that time. And they were really thinking of getting into this whole analytics space. And analytics mm -hmm. space in uh, uh, heavy industrial engineering areas. So because of the complexity of the equipment, right, when customers are investing millions of dollars, especially in oil and natural gas or large-scale manufacturing and so on and so forth, uh, identifying the parts in these equipment early on through these analytics, right, that machine-to-machine -machine, uh, learning kind of a thing. Uh, so these guys, even though they came from a services background, but they mm -hmm. had the ambition, they had the desire to b get into a product business. And at that time, I was also very keen on supporting these Indian entrepreneurs who were looking at building these enterprise class product companies. But I knew mm -hmm. going in, I knew there is going to be a challenge with these entrepreneurs because their whole background was services background. Services, yeah. And people coming from services background and adapting that into product building is a very is a very complex thing. I mean, just to give you a simple example, they did not even understand at that time the role of a product management. Because for mm -hmm. them, from a services background, right, they think that they, they understand what needs to be done. That's because somebody else the, the company that is giving them the business has uh, has done the job of the product management, defining the yeah. product functionality, defining the roadmap, and and understanding who the early customers that you want to go after, and so on and so forth. So, so you know, bringing the need of the whole product management thinking, and and getting them to understand that, and then slowly focusing on certain markets rather than. Uh, you know, boiling the ocean kind of a thing. So guiding them in the early days, the importance of the focus, the importance of figuring out what markets you want to build the product for. So it's been an interesting journey. And as you said earlier, we had to move that company to the United States almost like three years ago or so because, because this is where the market for a product like that. And we did have some initial success in India but majority of our success is, is now coming primarily from the United States and uh, European countries. You know, Jagadish, uh, this bootstrapping products using services is a theme that we've done a lot of work on in One Million by One Million. We have case study after case study of really successful companies, but it is, it is you know, it requires focus and it requires commitment to becoming a product company. Exactly. And um, however, this dichotomy of first-time entrepreneurs trying to build a fast startup where product building requires, you know, investment, bootstrapping using services is one way that people are bridging that gap very successfully. We're seeing this constantly. It is because 
what happens is for a first-time entrepreneur, fundraising is a major issue. Yeah. Right. Because nobody wants to give the funding, and at the end of the day, the entrepreneur has the dream to build his or her own company. I mean, that was the case even for us, right? As first-time entrepreneurs in 1993, when we started the company, there was nobody to fund us. So, yeah. what did we do? On the side, we started a services company. Yeah. And the money that we saved out of that is what we invested in Exodus Communications. And then mm -hmm. once we got to a stage where we were about $3 million in uh, annual revenues is when the interest from investors actually got created. And that is yeah. when the funding happened for us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear this from you, <laughs> that you, are, you have experienced that, and I experienced that as well in my early uh, journey. And, and I purposely, you know, because we, we, we based the whole uh, program on case studies, it, you know, this theme of bootstrapping using services kept coming up early on in our journey with One Million by One Million. So then I really looked into that very carefully and, you know, basically put a methodology together of how to do that and how to train people to do that. So now, you know, we, we see this all the time. We have any, yeah. at any given time in our uh, ecosystem, there are tons of these kinds of companies. Yeah. I mean, my advice to these entrepreneurs who are coming from services background into the product background is, is definitely doable. It is a, it is a little bit of a mind shift that they it's have to, shift. they have to undergo and make sure they, emphasize on this, the importance of the product management and, and the focus of few markets that you want to build this product for, especially in the early days, right? Don't go try to boil the ocean. Don't go uh, to every market. So it is that very clear focus because in services business, it's almost like, okay, anything, bring them Whatever on. Comes. Whatever comes, I'll, I will take it. It doesn't matter whether you are financial industry or manufacturing or healthcare. Yeah. I don't care, right? I'll take on any product because somebody else has done the work of bringing it to the market. So here you have to really think very clearly that I have to focus on what market I'm building this product for. And that is where the exercise that they need to go through. And clearly, I think we can build fantastic companies uh, because you don't really have to depend on early stage investments. Right. Well, I think the other thing that we see uh, as, as problems, recurring problems in those kinds of companies, because technology is the comfort zone, people build all sorts of things. But really, you need to build one thing well and sell it a lot. They like build something for here, something for there, and, and all of them, they start calling products but you don't need that many products. You shouldn't be doing that many different, un, you know, uncorrelated things. You should be doing one thing and one thing well and selling that one thing to lots of customers. That's exactly. how you become a product company. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I actually teach a course on uh, entrepreneurship, and I encourage especially the, the, the entrepreneurs who are coming from services business uh, so twice a year, we offer that with this incubator that we have called FalconX. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, ask, ask them to subscribe to that and get the information about when the class gets offered. 
Yeah, and if you need uh, additional material on that, we have uh, published our bootstrapping using services course on Udemy. It's you know very inexpensive, and you can point to use that as well if you like. Lots yeah. of case studies. Yeah, I mean, my whole goal, right, is to help these next generation entrepreneurs yeah. so that so that right. they don't need to make the mistakes that we made. Let them go make new mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, very interesting conversation. Let's uh, listen to an entrepreneur next. Very nice. Look forward.